The nuclear family, the traditional family, has come under attack today, maybe now more than ever in history. Today we discuss why it is being attacked and why we must do everything in our power to uphold and defend it. Hey, it's Lucas Grobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Grobot Show, where we uncover purpose, relentlessly pursue truth, and own the future. We are on a series about totalitarian cults. This is part five of the series. If you have not listened to the previous parts, that's okay. You don't need to listen to them now in order to listen to this episode, but I do highly recommend you go back and check those out as we talked about communist China and their rise to power and the the tactics of struggle sessions that they used. We talk about uh, the story of the green grocer, which has become one of my favorite stories. In fact, we're getting stickers made up about the green grocer. We talk about six traits of totalitarian cults, states, and organizations um, in that we talk about how a a totalitarian group or a cult, um, it doesn't need to be a certain size. You can have a totalitarian group of 12 people, or you can have one of 12 million, or even as we see, almost a billion people. And so the size of totalitarian states isn't what matters, but it's the ideologies that drive it. And so in that second episode of the series, we talk about the six trades of of totalitarian cults. Um, And then we also, in this series, we discuss the French Revolution and the differences between the French and the American Revolution, specifically in the outcomes and the ideologies that followed the revolutions, both cases, there needed to be a revolution, but the ideas and the thoughts were vastly different, and it led to vastly different outcomes between in, in the years following both the French and the American Revolution. But today, we are going to be talking about the family unit. At the end of the last episode, when we were talking about communist China, I, I hit on a point where where we began talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, of course, all lives matter. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Blue lives matter. I I don't think it's a problem saying that black lives matter in lowercase letters. But when we begin to talk about it as a movement and a set of ideologies in uppercase letters, uppercase black, uppercase life, uppercase matters, it is no longer just an idea of saying, I value you as an individual and you have individual intrinsic God-given rights as a human being. Yes, of course, absolutely. I value you as a human being and as an individual and as someone who has maybe different levels of melanin than I do. But those are, those consist of very, very minute differences in our DNA genetic makeup, right? I think most of us here agree on that. So it has nothing to do with whether a, a, a certain class or group of people does or doesn't matter. But when we move into an, a full-blown ideology, and that's what Black Lives Matters is, if you go to the Black Lives Matters About Us, Us page, you'll see a full-blown ideology that is driving it. And one of those ideologies is saying that we disrupt, it's written on on their About Us page, this is to paraphrase it, but we disrupt the nuclear family. We disrupt the nuclear family and, and normal, you know, societal norms of the heterosexual, cisgendered, white male, he's the oppressor, and we're going to disrupt that. We're going to disrupt the the family unit and move it away from the nuclear family where there's a mom, a dad, and kids, and that is a family unit, to what they call a, a more open village system. And uh, on the outset, you know, okay, that, that sounds like a really, you know, utopian-esque idea because guess what? It is a utopian or dystopian-esque idea that we see of all places in the USSR and explicitly written in the Marxist Communist Manifesto, the Marxist Engels 
documentation and, and their thought processes. This idea of breaking down the nuclear family. And that's what I want to spend some time talking about today. And we're going to be talking about why the nuclear family is so important, the benefits of it. We're going to be talking about uh, a cult um, from New York City. It was called the it was called the the Sullivan Institute. And we're going to be talking about this cult and some of their crazy ideologies and things that they did. And then we're going to be talking uh, a little bit more in depth about the USSR, about Russia and how they how they did really disrupt the family unit and how their ideologies came directly from individuals like Marx and Engels, which the founders of Black Lives Matter, the movement, uh, say that they are activists. They are trained Marxist activists. They have a specific agenda. The agenda is not, hey, let's empower people to take to take agency and action and ownership in their life, but rather is let's dismantle the entire system of capitalism. And how can we begin to dismantle an entire nation? How do we begin to dismantle entire systems of capitalism, which they see as being innately evil and oppressive, even though they have lifted billions of people out of poverty? The fastest and easiest and most crucial element to attack that's most subversive is the family unit. Now, what caused me to begin to to think about this and and write about this or share with about this today on the podcast was I received an email over the weekend from a gentleman in Sweden named Hegel and he was sharing some of his experiences in Sweden and in Europe as we know is many steps ahead as far as being more progressive when it comes to a lot of these uh, very left-winged ideologies. And so he he wrote me and he was talking about um, some of the things that he has seen with the the blatant attack against the traditional family unit. And that's what really caused me to take this angle on this episode. Now, backtracking a little bit, I want I want to touch on one specific point of why do we care about these differences? Why do we care about these worldviews? Why do we care about these ideologies? Why do we care about where these thoughts will ultimately lead us? I was recently listening to a piece by Dr. Jonathan Haidt, who is um, a, a brilliant scholar, PhD professor, and he was sharing how traditional education, it helps people give a framework of how to view the world. They, the, you know, the education system and scholars, those institutions are set in place for people to be able to discern and understand and find truth. That is the job of an intellectual. That is the job of a social psychologist, of a scientist, of a mathematician. It is to discern and understand and say, this is what is true. This is truth. This is what the empirical data says. But as the years have progressed, we have moved from educating and teaching our kids, whether it's in high school, in mathematics, or in university, we've moved away from teaching them how to think critically, dialectically, empirically, using the scientific method to understand truth. And now we are in a day and an age where the scientific method is racist. That's right. The scientific method is is a system of quote-unquote whiteness. This was put, put out by the Smithsonian from the NMAAHC, which is the, the Museum for African American uh, Heritage and Culture. And they, they said in this that the scientific method, the scientific method, which is come up with hypotheses, 
test the hypotheses and see whether you're right or wrong about the hypotheses. That is a system of whiteness and that is racist that is used to oppress people. And if you if you believe in the scientific method or if you use the scientific method according to the the this organization, the NMAAHC, according to them, if you are a person of any color and you are using this system to better your life, then you have you are complicit in whiteness and you have internalized whiteness. One of the most derogatory things I've ever heard and crazy things I've ever heard. But this, this is where society is going today. This is where society is going. And this is what's being taught in the education system. No longer is it we are people who use our rational, empirical minds to discern truth. But instead, as Jonathan Haidt so profoundly put it, the education system has moved away from discerning and, and understanding truth to making change, to seeing progress, to pushing towards equality. And now it no longer matters what is or isn't true, what is empirical or isn't empirical, because now they're teaching in mathematics that math is racist, that math is a system of inequality that has been set up to oppress people, that statistics are systems of oppression and and used to explain away inequalities when really there's just these racist systems. And they're saying, we need to do away with this empirical data. It doesn't matter. What we need to do is push for momentum. We need to push for movement. And this is the very Marxist totalitarian ideologies that we have been talking about here on the show. So why do we care? Well, just as I said at the beginning of the show, the show is about one, uncovering our purpose, our telos. Why are we here? What what are we born to do? Well, in order to do that, we need to be grounded in truth. We need to not just, we need to not just know what I want to change the world in and know what direction I want to go, but we need to know how do we view the world? Because we need to know what is the right lens that we can view the world by so that we can actually make a change in the world that is helpful and productive and life-giving and bringing fruit into the world, good fruit, bearing fruit that lasts and endures far beyond us. It takes, it first takes our ability to see the world rightly, to understand and discern truth. And that truth sets us free to actually walk in our purposes so that we might own the future, that we might make an impact. And that is why we are talking about these things today. Because what you believe about what we are about to talk about will have great impacts on your life, whether positive or negative. It will have huge consequences and impacts on your life, depending on how you you believe in these issues and how you take action on these issues. They're important. And so I want to start off by sharing that at least in America and probably the majority of the the developed world, there are three things that if you do these three things, you will escape poverty. If you do these three simple things, number one, graduate high school. Number two, get and keep a full-time job. Number three, wait until you're married until and until you're over 21 to have children. If you do those three things and you follow those three rules, you will only have a 2% chance of falling into poverty. Now you might say, okay, well, you know, I can't find a job. Well, you know, it, any job will do. Sure. You, you want a good job, you want a career, you want to better yourself, you want something that, that you find purpose in, but being a bricklayer has purpose. If you are someone who lays bricks day after day after day after day, you actually have purpose. If you're a home builder, 
one of my closest friends, he's a home builder and he finds so much purpose in that. So much purpose in that. If you have a full-time job, graduate high school, and wait until you're one married until over 21 to have kids, you are only you are 98% likely to escape poverty. And you know what? I think all of us want to escape poverty. Because when we escape out of poverty, out of that poverty mentality, out of being just so broke that we can't even help ourselves, we can't help our children, we can't help our grandchildren, we can't help our moms or dads or family. Like, what are, we, what are we living for? We are people who want to make an impact in the world. We want to leave our dent. We want to leave our mark on the world. We want to leave a legacy. Well, we need money to do that. I mean, I guess you don't need money to do that, but you can for sure help people more when you're not dependent on everyone else around you. If you are a, a spring of life in your community where you are generous and you are able to give and you're able to, to employ people and you're able to sow into people's lives and sow into your, your children's school and, and, give, and give to your grandchildren, it says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That is that the way that we deal with finances is actually a thing concerning our righteousness. It is actually a thing concerning our morality, the way that we deal and steward our finances, whether it's our generosity or whether it's our ability to build generational wealth to give to our grandchildren. That is a huge thing. But now if you break all three of these rules, you are, are 74% likely to fall, sorry, 76%. You have a 76% probability to fall into poverty if you break all three of these rules. So it's very simple to get out of poverty. You keep those rules. If, of course, if you're in a developed nation. Now, this does not necessarily go for all nations, but I think the principles still apply, which is, Get a basic, solid education, find a job, and wait till you're married to have children in over 21. Now, this information came from a study in a book by Ron Haskins and Isabella Sawhill, who wrote the book, Creating an Opportunity Society. Creating an Opportunity Society. And they said, if you follow these rules, and they did a study across society and said, this applies to all races. This applies to all ethnic groups. You don't need to be special to get out of poverty. There's not some system that's set up against you. It's about your personal decisions that you can make to stay out of poverty. Now, the reason that the family unit is so important, as we will see, is because the family unit, the, the nuclear family, is a system that is able to perpetuate wealth for generations. It is if you have a healthy family, you are able to pass on everything that you work for to your children, to your children's children, to your children's children's children. I mean, who doesn't want to know that your great-grandfather was extremely wealthy because he worked hard and inherited something from his grandfather. And now when he passes away, you have an inheritance. And you are able to take that inheritance and reinvest it into your life, into your family, and build generational wealth. This is the, the basic idea of, of compounding wealth. But the reason that totalitarian ideologies do not like this is because they want your money. They want your wealth. They don't want you and your family to have it. They don't want you to be independent and self-sufficient. They want you to rely on the state. And they want you, when you pass away, that your wealth, that your finances gets diluted into the system so that they own it, so that they control it. It's all about control. George Murdoch wrote that there are four essential functions of the nuclear family. 
George Murdoch was an American anthropologist, and he studied over 200 different societies across the globe. 200 societies. Now, there are like 200 and some odd nations. So pretty much studied almost every society and found, and this is an important point, and found and argued that the nuclear family, mom, dad, kids, nuclear family, was a universal feature in all human societies. Now, this is an important point for arguments that totalitarian Marxist, social Marxism ideologies, postmodern ideologies are going to make. It's an important point to note that all societies, we find the nuclear family. And there's four functions. The first function, it stables, it, it creates a stable and satisfactory sex drive that within monogamous relationships, people are satisfied sexually. It reduces anxiety. It reduces jealousy. And that creates a healthy and happy relationship. Go figure. Number two, the biological reproduction of the next generation without which society cannot continue. Wow. I mean, these, <laughs> I like, I like this Murdoch guy, but it doesn't take a lot of thinking to come to this conclusion, which is great. It's like, if we want to continue as a human race, we have to reproduce. But if you may not know this, but by the year 2100, the population, the global population will be strongly in decline across the world. We're already seeing population decline across China. We're already seeing population decline across Japan. We're already seeing population decline among many areas of the world because a lot of these ideologies that are breaking up the traditional family. And you might say, well, that's a great thing because the environment, but actually it's not a great thing. At the population decline means that we're, we're going to see a collapse of societies across the world because as the population declines, all of a sudden you have a, a large number of elderly with a very small number of youth. And it's very difficult to be able to support the economy in that system. Number three, again, a very important point, the socialization of youth. The family unit teaches the basic norms and values. Now, if you've been listening and paying attention to the series on totalitarian cults, you would know that totalitarian cults want what? They want control. They want control. They want control, not just obedience, but they want you to think and believe all of their exact talking points. And that the most dangerous thing in a totalitarian system is that you might think for yourself, that you might have an idea that disagrees. Do you see how a family might be a problem? Because a family can teach basic norms and values and disagree. Dangerous. Number four, meeting its members' economic needs. Producing food and shelter, for example. The family unit is such a, an amazing institution or part, if you will, of our society because it provides safety. It meets our needs without any massive system to do it. But totalitarian systems want you to be reliant on them because if you or reliant on them, if they are feeding you and giving you your home, your shelter, your food, then you have to do what they say, and they have power and control over you. The nuclear family is the responsible party for teaching children norms and values, and this is known as primary socialization. It comes from our parents. But in the recent years, they have these totalitarian ideas, these Marxist ideas have tried to strip the influence away from the parents and move it to the state. Now, these are called public school systems, which are really another nice way of saying 
government school systems. They're government school systems that are working to normalize children according to the state's agenda, to the nation's agenda. But as we see, children who grow up in traditional nuclear families have fewer emotional and behavior problems, they do better in school, and they have higher rates of achievement, and they move more easily from dependence to autonomy. Again, something a totalitarian state does not want. Marxist totalitarian ideologies are often, if not always, against the traditional nuclear family. Because the state wants the individual to rely on them. They want to become the father figure. They want to become God. They want to control everything. They want to equalize everything. Now, this is seen in a small microcosm of of what was known as the Sullivan Institute, which was founded by Saul Newton. Now, Saul Newton was a quote-unquote psychotherapist, um, but he had no formal training as a therapist, but he was a trained, yeah, you guessed it, trained Marxist. Now, Sullivan started this, or Newton started this cult called the Sullivan Institute, in which he sought to create an alternative to the nuclear family traditional unit. And he viewed, because he viewed the traditional family unit as the root cause of all social anxiety. Now, this is what they did in their cult. They they said that the family unit is the cause of mental illness. And because of that, any individuals that joined to foster healing, they'd say, you need to cut out your parents. You need to cut out all your family family members, except when we need money, then you need to go back to them to get money from them. Everyone in the group was, was assigned their own living quarters and they're all segregated male and female, except that every night they would rotate around to sleep with different sex partners, changing oftentimes every single night. They were not Allowed married couples were not allowed to live live together. People were needed special permission to give birth. If children were born, oftentimes they were they were put off into the foster system, or the children were were raised by babysitters. And parental visits were allowed only for one hour every day, one evening a week, one hour a day, and one evening a week. Members within these groups were not allowed to have exclusive relationships. Essentially, they said that your body belongs to everyone. Everyone's body belongs to you. You are part of this one big, happy, tribal family. This is what we saw in Brave New World, if you've read that book. You don't belong to yourself, and you can't have an exclusive relationship. These ideas come directly from Marx and Engels, who started Marxism, which we're going to get in and talk to in a little bit more depth. Now, the reason why, one of the reasons why that, that Newton did this was so that he can, one, control everyone, and two, there's distrust between everyone. No one's able to trust each other, but this is what they do in these totalitarian cults. The reason that I bring this specific cult up is because one, Newton was a Marxist. He was a a committed communist. And two, you see these ideologies made manifest in in, in a small setting where Newton was able to have a vast amount of control and power. And he used the the disorganization of the family unit and these quote-unquote village-like systems to be able to control the people's finances, control the relationships so there's, there's no strong bond, so no one can trust each other, so no one can actually break away from the cult. If you can't break away from the cult, 
then you have to stay in the cult and continue giving your money to who but Saul Newton and his wife. You have nowhere to go. All your finances are tied up. You have no one to trust, so you can't break off with them. The outside world's evil. You're living on this, this island in the middle of New York City. And you have cut out your family except when you need money from them. And so you've been brainwashed that you can't even go to your actual family unit because this group that you're with where you're not allowed to have kids, where if you do have kids, you can only see them one hour a day and one evening a week. It's complete and utter control. But you, the reason I brought this up is because you see the Marxist ideologies manifest to to essentially their fullest is saying, we are going to create an egalitarian society. And that was their, be- their beginning premise was we want to create this social justice egalitarian society where everyone's equal and everyone's taken care of. But Marxists argue that the nuclear family has been specifically created to preserve capitalism. Now, In some ways, Marx is right about that. In some ways, Marx is right that the family unit is able to preserve wealth and finances generation after generation after generation, which is a good thing. But in his worldview, in in his mind, the way that a Marxist think is that all this does is perpetuate inequality and hierarchies. And according to Marxist theories and postmodern theories, all these hierarchies are corrupt and evil. So what do we need to do? We need to create a hierarchy where one person, where the, the working class, the proletariat, is controlling all of these finances to force equality down on everyone else below. Whereas the family unit is a mechanism to preserve wealth from generation to generation to generation. Because if you know who your kids are, then you can pass your wealth down to your kids. But if it's a village and you have no mate, then you have no strong relationship. You have no person that you can trust because you don't trust anyone. And how are you supposed to tell whose kids who? You can't pass on that wealth. So who does the wealth then belong to, but the state or the cult that is controlling all of the wealth. Now, this is not just theory. This isn't just uh, uh, my prognosis of what I think Marx and Engels meant when when they created Marxism. But this is what they wrote in the Communist Manifesto. According to Engels, the monogamous nuclear family only merged with capitalism and before capitalism, which came about in the 18th century, according to Marx and Engels, before that, everyone was just in these family tribal units, what they considered to be primitive communism, that there was no private property before the 18th century, which is just not true. Just not true. If you you go back to the Roman Empire, you go back to the roots of Judaism, to the Judeo-Christian worldview, and we see very clearly that there is prescribed religious ideas of what the family unit is and what the family unit isn't. There are prescribed ideas to pass down wealth from generation to generation. And because the Jewish community follow these ideas, they have found themselves to be in a place of extreme influence across the globe, wherever they go, wherever they set up, because they follow the ideas and ideologies that they are, are, are baked into their religion the values that they were taught in their family unit that are passed down from generation to generation to generation, they have those principles and those principles allow them to create wealth wherever they go. And anyone else that has adopted those principles find that those principles work for them as well. 
But Marx and Engels believed that this system of capitalism, the system of the family unit that passes down and protects and preserves wealth from generation to generation, meaning that the state can't get a hold of it, was ultimately the cause of inequality and continued to reproduce inequality where the rich got richer and the poor remained poorer. But notice, and we see this all the time today, that it's hard for wealth to last beyond two or three or four generations because one generation comes that didn't learn the values, that didn't learn the principles, and they squander the wealth of previous generations. And today, more than ever, we see people from around the globe taking hold of of innovative ideas, of capitalism, of the scientific method, and from it, they're able to create amazing things and generate wealth that they can then pass on to their children and their children's children. So the family unit is not the cause of inequality. Quite the opposite. The family unit is the mechanism to dissolve inequality and to cause someone who chooses to use their agency to step out of that place of not having, that place of poverty. Another thing that Ingalls and Marx would say was that the nuclear unit, the family unit, was quite oppressive to women and children. And now where there could be arguments for this, if you look across any society, tribal societies, if you look across communism and socialistic societies, you see that the same holds true there. That what the Communist Party did in the USSR, which we're about to get into, they plainly said that the children were to be raised to be able to become good socialistic workers. Another policy that the USSR put into place was for women to enter the workforce. Now, this might sound like a great idea, which it is. I think women should be able to work if they want to, but they should have the freedom not to. But what socialism and communism looked at was it said, wait a minute, women aren't pulling their weight around here. This is my perspective, that women aren't actually pulling their weight. So we need them in the workforce. We need the children in the workforce because we need everyone working in the society rather than in the nuclear family, children are allowed to be children. This was the the, the argument against the bourgeoisie that these children were able to actually grow up and be educated and learn because they had a family system that passed on wealth from generation to generation that enabled mothers to pour into their children, to pour into the next generation and to shape and mold the next generation so that they could continue to build wealth, to continue to build systems that empowered people to step out of poverty. Another argument that dismantles Marx and Engels' ideology is that in capitalistic societies across the globe, we have seen the fastest improvement of gender equality over the last hundred years. Capitalism is increasing wealth and gender equality within every nation that exists in. You look, whether it's across the Gulf whether it's across India or China, anywhere that these ideas and ideologies of capitalism, which is also the family unit, wherever that is found, we actually find more equality. We actually find women being empowered more. We find that women have a greater freedom to decide to go and work, which is one of the leading causes women entering the workforce, which is a great thing. I'm all for it. But it's evident that the system of capitalism is actually working to empower women to pursue their dreams based on the fact that birth rates are dropping and women are deciding that instead of having four or five kids, they're deciding I actually have a job that I want to pursue. 
Now, we see these totalitarian ideologies quite blatantly manifested in the USSR and in their documents. And they plainly state the relationship that the government, that the state wants to have with the parents and the children. In 1977, the USSR said that citizens are obligated to show concern for the upbringing of their children. Well, that sounds great. But now here's the rest of the sentence. To prepare them for socially useful labor and to rear worthy members of a socialistic society. That's in the Constitution. So now a person, a parent in the USSR is liable of of a crime if they do not raise their children in a manner that they deem as worthy for the socialistic society. That means that then the government can step in and take their children because they're breaking the law and they're not raising their kids for useful labor according to what the state defines as useful. A senior researcher and associate at the USSR Academy of Sciences Institute of Sociology and Research wrote in 1967, this man's name is Dr. Markenko. He wrote, our family is not a closed collective body like the bourgeoisie family, which is the, the traditional nuclear family, but it is an organized part of Soviet society. What they did was, in the USSR, they said there, there are three forms of family. There's the traditional family, which is what we've been talking about. There's the collective family, which actually many people in the West, my family included, actually operate more on this level. The collective family is saying that the mom and the dad really equally share the housework. The mom and the dad equally make decisions. They're saying we're acting more as a democracy. It's not just one person that's making all the the decisions. The husband's not just making all the decisions and the wife is subjugated to that. But there is more of a collective group effort in the raising of the kids and in, in the housework and in the bringing in of the income. So a lot of households in the West actually adopt a lot of these ideas. And then the third one is the individual family, which is you have two parents, but they live vastly separate lives and the kids really grow up in the state system. And that was really the the vision and the idea that the USSR was pushing towards. They were moving away from the traditional family where, where in this case, they meant traditional as the father was the breadwinner the mom did not work. She stayed at home. Her place, you know, her place was the kitchen, quote unquote. She raised the kids and the father made all the decisions. They wanted to move away from that and even past the collective where both are equally working more towards something that was the individual. So what they did was they, they didn't do away with marriage, but they said that, hey, if you don't get married, that's okay. It's essentially just a common law marriage and you can have kids out of wedlock. It's no longer a problem. But what it really did, they also did was they said it is only through the bloodline that you can pass on wealth. But if you weren't legally married, according to the state, then you couldn't pass on your wealth to your children. And the state then said, hey, if you're not legally married, we will give you as a single mother or as a mother that's not in a a, a traditional marriage, we will give you finances, we will give you money, we will give you support, we will provide school systems, government school systems and daycare for your child to enter into so that you can go and enter the workplace. Now, again, these things sound great on the onset, but they have lots of cascading problems and issues. The biggest one is you are no longer able to protect yourself against the control of the state because you no longer have the family unit. You no longer have that safety and children no longer have that safety. They're no longer raised by a mom and a dad, but they're raised by 
the school system, the government school system that tells them what to believe or not to believe. And in the USSR, if you didn't believe what they wanted you to, if you didn't fall in line in lockstep with their ideologies, you went to re-education camps or gulags where you were, were, were put to hard labor, most likely going to end up dead. These were the consequences for not falling along the lines of their ideologies, even if you did. Oftentimes, people would find themselves in the gulags even though they're committed communists. Now, Lenin in the USSR took his ideas from Marx and Engels, who we have been referencing in this episode a lot. And Marx and Engels actually didn't come up with these ideas on their own, but they took their ideas from a German philosopher named Morgan. And what they said, according to Morgan's view, was that primitive society, that in primitive society, every man had sexual access to every woman and vice versa before there was civilization, that it was every man and every woman and that there was no sexual taboos or prohibitions of any kind Even incest was acceptable. This was not a community of women, as many people wrongly suppose, since women were free and they had the same rights and prerogatives as men. So Morgan and others said that long ago, before civilization reared its head, everyone was free and everyone was just having open relationships with anyone. It doesn't matter whether you're related to them, whether they're your sister, whether you're not your sister, whether they're your brother, whether they're a child. And they made these arguments that we need to move back to this village-like primitive society. They also claimed that sexual community was a prerequisite for development of larger social groups. And this facilitated the evolution of humans from animals with naturalistic explanations thereof. Marx and Engels had shifted to position in which not the family, but the absence of the family was the origin and natural state of humanity. And they said that all this whole natural family thing, this is a system of capitalism that's corrupting and causing anxiety in the family. And we need to, in people, we need to move away from the family back to just free love, back to just everyone has access to everyone. You know, even, even today, there are strong movements for pedophilia across the globe, across Europe, across the States. There's a strong push and movement that's coming out of these very ideas. The way that they saw that they could accomplish these ideas was if they could replace home education with social or government education, which included, but encompassed far more than sending their children to public or government schools. This is what Marx and Engels said. We said, we need to do away with the family being able to perpetuate their family values, religious, moral values. And we need to have the government to be able to tell people what to think and believe. They said that marriage would no longer be a legal relationship between a man and a woman, but purely a private affair between individuals. And in the absence of private property, they argued that people would actually be far freer in a relationship saying, well, if there's no private property, which again is a big argument in socialism is doing away with private property. It's doing away with capitalism. It's doing away with any land ownership, which is what we saw in communist China. It's what we saw in the Soviet Union. We say we need to do away with private property. It's all owned by the people. When we say that it's owned by the people, we really mean it's owned by the government. So their argument in their line of thinking is if we have no private property, well, then relationships would be so much freer and there's not going to be pressure to stay in it and there's not going to be pressure to, to not leave it. 
And so, therefore, the woman would not be dependent on any man. And therefore, since children would be raised communally, there would not be any concern in relationship between them. Meaning, our children, they're just being raised by the village. So, I can go and do my thing. You know, everyone's house is everyone's house. We can just, we're just sharing everything between each other. And if you decide to move out, well, that's no big deal. The government will take care of you. C'est la vie. What's really sad is that Marx's daughter, Eleanor, she prescribed to a lot of her father's ideas. And for 14 years, she was in a relationship with a man who was secretly married. Right? Free love. We don't, you don't need to have any ties. That's just a construct of, of capitalism to control women, to control men, to control wealth, to, to perpetuate inequality in the earth. But what ended up happening was Eleanor found out that he had an actual marriage on the side. She was brokenhearted. He left her and she ended up committing suicide. The fruits of these ideologies, as we saw in communist China with the death of of tens of millions of people, as we saw in the killing fields of Cambodia, which we, we didn't talk about, but you might be familiar with. We saw the deaths of millions and millions of people across the globe, Soviet, the Soviet Union, the, the loss of millions of lives, to even the suicide of Eleanor Marx, the son of Karl Marx, the daughter of Karl Marx. The fruit of these ideologies is nihilism, hopelessness, despair, and death. Going back to the beginning, to Murdoch's study. We see that the primary function of the family unit is to teach family norms and values and to create a stable and a safe environment within a monogamous relationship. This stable unit is a mechanism by which we can perpetuate health, wholeness, prosperity, equality, justice, and truth into the earth. Children who grow up in stable homes where both parents are present have fewer emotional behavior problems, do better in school, and have higher rates of achievement and more easily move from dependence to autonomy. That is what we want for ourselves. That is what we want for our children. That is what we want for society at large. For any society, for any person, that's what I want to see. That's my heart. That's why we do this show. Because I believe that that you are worthy and deserving of having achieved great things in your life. I believe that you want to see your grandchildren grow up and achieve great things in their life. And that is going to happen in a traditional family unit. But there are movements in the earth right now, and it doesn't matter where you live because we are now living in a global connected society. You might think, well, I live in the Middle East. That's not coming here. Well, it's already here. The people that I follow, the, the conversations that I'm having, they, the, the conversations that I'm having among a, a large majority of people who are well-educated and are pushing new policy, it's in line. It's in line with a lot of this Marxist agenda of destroying the family unit. Now, there's a lot of people, alhamdulillah, praise God, who haven't drunk in the Kool-Aid. You look across Europe, you look across Africa and South America, with Venezuela, There is no place on earth that is safe or doesn't have to 
worry against this that doesn't need to defend. There's no person on earth. And this is why. Because it is your responsibility for your life. It is your responsibility to guard and defend your marriage. Because if if you happen to suffer a divorce for whatever reason, that is going to cause years of pain and baggage. That is going to cost finances that could have been invested in building generational wealth. So we have to make these decisions wisely. If you're not married, you have to make the decision of who am I going to marry? You need to make the decision of I'm going to wait to have kids until I'm over 21, until I'm married. And I'm going to stay married to one person because that is going to create a healthy and stable environment for my children so that they can succeed. And that is why we're here to view the world in a correct way, to view the world in a way that says, you know what? There are a lot of problems in the world. There are a lot of issues and struggles and hardships, but this is the best way that we have found that works. This is the best way forward. And it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to preserve our family, to pour in to our kids, to pour into our husband or our wife, to to deal with the tensions and conflict within a marriage, to say, well, I want to go left. Well, I want to go right. Okay, well, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to sit down and focus together on a team to say, this is where we're going together? Not because I'm manipulating you, not because I'm controlling you, but we are going to stick together and rely on one another rather than turning to the state and the government, which will ultimately strip your wealth and strip your children's children's children from a heritage and an inheritance that you were born to give to them. These are ideas and, and, and notions of great importance. Great importance. That is all for this episode of the Lucas Scrobot Show. Thank you for being with me as we explore this series on totalitarian cults and ideologies. And today we um, kind of dovetailed really deep into Marxist, postmodern, socialistic, um, communist ideology. And specifically, we went deeper into why the traditional family unit is so important. It's not just about gender issues. It's not just about race issues. It's not just uh, about women having equal rights. Women, women do have equal rights and should have equal rights if, if you're living in a country where they don't have equal rights. But doing away with the family unit, doing away with traditional marriage, doing away with one man, one woman, and a lot of great, healthy, happy kids is a recipe for disaster because it is the recipe for someone else coming in and controlling your wealth, controlling your finances, and controlling your children. I love to get your questions. Please, if you have a question or a thought from this episode or any other episode, be like Hegel and message me, email me, or WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. That's plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. I would love to hear from you. Finally, my book anchored the discipline to stop drifting. If you want to stop drifting in your life, to be able to focus, to stop bouncing from one thing to another and become committed to the principles and values and the dream in your heart so that you can actually leave an impact 10, 20, 30, 40, 100, 150, 300 years from now, then this is the book for you. Anchored the discipline to stop drifting. I wrote it in a time in my life where I felt like everything was slipping through the cracks. All my metrics for success had gone out the window. And so I stopped and began to write. And these are the principles that over a number of years I, I honed and I refer back to, I think about 
on a daily basis. Please, my book, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting. If you hate it, email me and I'll give you a full refund. Finally, you are a change maker. Go out and discern truth so that you might actually own your future. And I will see you next time right here on the show.